I'm someone who hates violence, especially, you know, as more time goes on. It's really got to earn it for me to appreciate it. And as disgusting and brutal as this was, I was okay with it. This, to me, with the subject matter, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about demonic natures and dragging people to hell. It made sense for it to be this graphic. No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Welcome to Band Book Club. I'm Rafaela. And I'm Nick. Happy Halloween. That was a quote from The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, also known as uh, Hellraiser, if you've seen the movie. So, first thing with this book, you know when people say, this is the worst day of my life, or nothing could be worse than this, <laughs> or it, it can't get any worse? It, it can get worse. Yeah. This book is how it can get worse. Let me set the stage for you. Basically, this book is about master torturer demons from hell snagging people up and dragging them to a timeless dungeon torture chamber where they get tortured forever in an infinitely worse, increasing way. So now... (laughs) After reading it, I kind of have this tick where every time someone complains about something or says like, oh, this is so bad, like, oh, I have to go change the oil on my car, I I, I think about this. Yeah. It's probably not the healthiest way <laughs> to go through life. <laughs> but, probably um, not. Clive just paints such a vivid picture of what that would actually look like in here, especially from the beginning, that uh, it's, it's really hard to get it out of your mind. It's demons, it's hell, it's infinite torture taken in a very serious way. Now, you might be thinking like I did, just knowing the concept of the book, that that's something that could devolve really quickly into, you know, just a stupid kind of Mm -hmm. another gory horror. Yeah, like a cheesy horror book, but no, this is not like that. I think that this is elevated almost to the level of literary fiction, uh, mainly because, I mean, other than it's just amazingly written, but the book isn't as much concerned with the monsters themselves or figuring Mm -hmm. out the mystery of the puzzle box. We'll get into that later, like it would be in a Stephen King book. What the book really is about is desire and these demons and the lament configuration and the characters are really all for those of you who don't know the term in literature they're all an objective correlative for this emotion of desire or maybe you call it unchecked passion and Mm -hmm. how that can literally rip you apart and torture you to death forever and make your own private hell That's what I read into. Maybe I'm getting a little too, I don't know, emotional about the whole thing. But (laughs) 
for me, it was way up above and beyond just a typical genre horror book. Yeah, it was the first time I actually read anything by Clive Barker. So it was quite the treat. And seeing the movie beforehand, I will say the book is so much better. Um, I, I, I really did enjoy the way it was written. I like how short it was, how simple the writing was. It didn't have to be, like you said, focusing on the uh, monsters themselves. The idea and the aspect of the whole thing was the scariest part of all. To give just a little background, I'm sure you could look this up online. But um, So the book is about a man named Frank Cotton who basically uh, has just experienced life to the fullest and wants more. He's almost like a, a John McAfee sort of character where he exactly has what I was <laughs> he, just exhausted every pleasure possible. He's a man of pleasure and he just wants something uh, better. But it's not just pleasure. Like, I mean, I can't relate to this, but I, I guess there are people that their dopamine receptors are so fried from just a nonstop barrage of pleasure Mm -hmm. that they have to keep moving on to different things to stimulate them like more and more extreme stuff until they're feeling nothing and that's frank at least at the beginning of this book he's just ultimate hedonist he he finds the the box and it cuts him it pierces him it you know the cenobites show up which are these androgynous uh monsters in leather um <laughs> they're not in the book i don't think they're in leather that oh, was one that thing was i like better about the movie is <laughs> the original movie the costumes were awesome and i think clive barker said he got the inspiration from going to underground bdsm clubs but the descriptions they are pretty disfigured yeah, in the novel it's like just he says corrugated flesh mm-hmm. and uh one of them has like their lips pulled back and he says has a baboon smile. and Yeah, they're terrifying. And they are ready to give Frank what he wants is uh, ultimate pleasure. Uh, but their idea of pleasure is, uh, you know, masochism. And... Basically, <laughs> pain is pleasure to them. So, so he's taken away to hell, so to speak. And um, he actually has a his life or the life he's left behind. He does have a brother named Rory, which in the movie, his name is Larry. And um, actually, I don't think they're brothers. They're just friends in the novel. And Julia has married Rory, but still loves Frank. Rory's basically a simp kind of guy. Yeah. And Frank is uh, dark and disturbed and cool. And he kind of stirs julia's loins because she's got a little bit of that going on in her too and but then not there's quite as much kirsty who is another character which in the novel she, she's the protagonist yeah she loves rory um as well she's seen to not be as beautiful as julia um julia is really a big main character in this and they i feel like they made her a pretty big character in the movie as well but frank is somehow brought back um by blood being spilled in the ground where he was first taken away to hell. And so Julia now has discovered that she can help bring Frank back if she feeds him blood and innocent victims. And so she has to bring these people, these men to the home and kill them and sacrifice their blood to Frank. Um, So again, we have our monsters in this novel that are very scary, but 
What do you think of as far as evil goes? Who is more evil, the Cenobites or Julia? Hmm. Because Julia was not. It was like the Cenobites were doing all of this because they didn't know what else to do. This was just their whole being. We don't know why they, how they got there. We we just know that they do this. And they're stuck in this never-ending cycle of torturing people. But Julia made the choice to try and summon Frank back by killing all these people to bring him back. And I don't know. I thought she was a pretty evil character. Yeah, I think the fact that they're demons from hell, master torturers, torturing people nonstop forever, puts them in a different league to start off with than Frank and Julia. Also... I mean, you see when, like, I, I want to read a bit from some of this first chapter. When Frank just gets the slightest taste of the pleasures that <laughs> they're going to offer him, he immediately regrets it. Yeah. He can't stand it. It's not it. what he, he had in mind. So they're clearly, like, way more twisted than mm-hmm. he is. At least they've gotten to a point where they're more, I don't know, that could actually be a good thing to them. He still just wants pleasure which in itself is not a bad thing it's just he pursues it to a degree where he ends up ruining his life and pretty much everyone else's true hedonist yeah he's just an extremely selfish guy it goes back to that thing i was saying where all this the cenobites frank the torture the chains ripping people the box it's all just an objective correlative for selfish unbridled desire and Frank, I mean, all this stuff embodied that. Mm-hmm. Even the way that the Cenobites eviscerate their people, the people that they find, they don't just explode them or eat them. They send chains into their body, like one by one, pulling them in different directions. You know what I mean? Like desires yeah. pulling you in different directions. The, and the then, symbolism. Yeah. Until you're finally ripped apart. <laughs> But Literally. <laughs> what? So, of course, it's extremely graphic. Doesn't get a lot more violent than this. What did you think about the violence in this book? Was it earned for you? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. Yes, because I've if I had to compare it to, not that I've read that many horror novels, but when you get into something like, let's just, I'm, I'm bringing it up again, American Psycho, it goes into so much detail that I know we have an episode about that. It, does it earn its violence? This, to me, with the subject matter, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about demonic natures and 
dragging people to hell. It made sense for it to be this graphic. And even when it did describe a scene where, you know, bodies were being torn apart or Julia was slitting the throats of these men, it didn't feel like we were spending a ton of sentences on it. I don't remember it going on and on and on and on. It would be like, here's this moment. It was scary. And then we moved on. I thought the way this was written was so um, Shakespearean in a way. I mean, it was uh, Faustian, as they say. (laughs) Well, one thing about the violence compared to American Psycho is it was it was not as obsessive with it as that book was. It's a short novel. Um, Yeah, it didn't treat it quite as silly and the scenes of violence in this are pretty well padded out from each other. Mm-hmm. There's not that many of them. And the ones that are there are interrupted by these really beautiful islands of right. descriptive poetic language. I mean, let me read just one here. It's just a setup for um, basically saying that it was like springtime or August or something. Yeah. But... I mean, my main point here is it don't think words, this whole novel is going to be just, you know, you're going to read a whole book where people are being tortured from the first page to the last page. Yeah. And you can tell if you read this stuff, the place this writer is coming from is not just an obsession with gore or trying to shock right. you. It's, this is someone that really cares about language and is really trying to tell a story here. But just listen to this. I mean, this could really be a poem if you put it in stanzas, it's a, this is almost metered too. If you listen to it, the seasons long for each other, like men and women in order that they may be cured of their excesses spring. If it lingers more than a week beyond its span starts to hunger for summer to end the days of perpetual promise. Summer in its turn soon begins to sweat for something to quench its heat. And the mellowest of autumns will tire of gentility at last and ache for a quick, sharp frost to kill its fruitfulness. Even winter, the hardest season, the most implacable, dreams, as February creeps on, of the flame that will presently melt it away. Everything tires with time and starts to seek some opposition to save it from itself. So August gave way to September, and there were few complaints. That's just gorgeous. Like Clive didn't need to do that, but he did that for us. He Well, I think he did in a way. I mean, he's not just talking about the seasons here. He's talking about, what is it? Everything tires with time and starts to seek some opposition to save it from itself. I think that's Frank he's also talking about. I think that's desire. Like, mm-hmm. what does Frank say at the beginning of the book? Like, every pleasure he had... Every like lust and infatuation just fizzled out and dimmed and ended up just leaving him bored and empty. Kind of like a Madame Bovary sort of deal, yeah. but he took it a little further. Maybe she'd be a good Cenobite. Oh my God, that's terrifying. But um, yeah, I, I just don't think, and I'm someone who hates violence, especially, you know, as more time goes on, it's really got to earn it for me to appreciate it. And as disgusting and brutal as this was, I was okay with it. In <laughs> fact, I thought most of it was pretty beautiful. It, I think it was just more, again, with 
it wasn't the gore that was scary in this novel. It's the whole idea that, you know, trying to seek out all of these pleasures and then paying the price for wanting something more when life isn't enough for you. And you're, like you said, literally being torn in different directions. Yeah, I mean, that's you make your own hell, I guess, would be one of the takeaways here. Right. I mean, what do you think of this novel as someone that may not believe in hell? Because I know that... What do you mean as someone who may not believe in hell? Like, do you think this book could have an impact on someone that may not believe in hell? Because I know that Clive actually says that he believes in a heaven and a hell and he believes in a God. So obviously it shows in his work. I don't know. That's a tough question. I think if it's an idea you're open to, reading something like this would definitely make it a lot more real and scary seeming and kind of send you into a depression for a little bit like it did for me. I think if you don't buy into the whole idea, then it's just like, oh, that's a creative setup. And, you know, I guess that'd be scary. But I mean, whether you believe in it or not, if you're accepting the fiction that he's giving you here, what what could be worse than this? Like, right. I think the world itself that he builds is creative enough that you can really picture this other dimension that these Cenobites come from and, and take take them to. I mean, they're such unique uh, monsters, if you will. And I mean, I know that Clive, Clive Barker, I guess it sounds pretentious to use his first name. <laughs> you know, but Clive. He's he's a horror writer. He has a lot of religious themes spiritual themes, but the through line, it seems like through all of his stuff is he's interested in these worlds kind of on the edge of experience, which is what the Cenobites are about. It's what a lot of his artwork he does is about, which is really great if you ever want to look at it. But that was another, maybe the coolest part of this book to me too, was the passages that would describe what it felt like to be on the edge of what a human could actually experience. And I can't read you all of those parts from later because they're just too horrible, but I want to go through at least the beginning when Frank is getting on the precipice of that because, I mean, the language is just awesome in this. This is after he's opened the box, made his deal with the Cenobites, and it, uh, stuff is starting to go south. It seemed he could suddenly feel the collision of the dust motes with his skin. Every drawn breath chafed his lips, every blink his eyes, bile burned in the back of his throat, and a morsel of yesterday's beef that had lodged between his teeth sent spasms through his system as it exuded a droplet of gravy upon his tongue. His ears were no less sensitive. His head was filled with a thousand dins, some of which he himself was father to, the air that broke against his eardrums was a hurricane. The flatulence in his bowels was thunder. But there were other sounds, innumerable sounds, which assailed him from somewhere beyond himself. Voices raised in anger, whispered professions of love, roars and rattles, snatches of song, tears. Was it the world he was hearing, morning breaking in a thousand homes? He had no chance to listen closely. The c cacophony drove any power of analysis from his head. 
But there was worse, the eyes. Oh, God in heaven, he had never guessed that they could be that they could be such torment. He who he thought there was nothing on earth left to startle him, now he reeled everywhere sight. The plain plaster of the ceiling was an awesome geography of brushstrokes, the weave of his plain shirt an unbearable elaboration of threads. In the corner he saw a mite move on a dead dove's head and wink its eyes at him, seeing that he saw too much, too much. It goes on for like five more pages there, but... That's like an acid trip or something. I know I haven't read any more of uh, Clive Barker's novels. I know he has the Books of Blood and the Scarlet Gospels. Um, how would you compare, because I haven't read anything by Stephen King, but I know he's supposed to be like the king of horror novels. Um, how would you compare um, Stephen King's writing or n- novels and stories compared to something like this novel or other books by Clive Barker? Well, I can't give a totally accurate answer because I haven't read all 800 or what. I don't even know how many books he has. It seems like there's a new one every three months. Well, how do their styles compare, I guess? Well, I have read some Stephen King stuff where it seemed like he was pushing a little bit further past the genre horror type stuff and trying to tell a more serious, weighty story. But most of the Stephen King I've read is a little bit more formulaic and like by the numbers horror and did not make me feel anything close to even a paragraph <laughs> from this book. I, I just don't think he has the same kind of imagination, whatever you call it, interests that, mm-hmm. um, that Clive Barker does. I mean, he seems like somebody who's I don't know. Very disturbed. Well, I mean, it's weird because <laughs> when you hear him talk, he's the nicest yeah, guy. He seems, super, he seems nice. super normal, but he seems like someone who's like their whole life is just an unending mm-hmm. LSD trip. Like it'd be scary to be in their head. Well, I think this novel, obviously, compared to the movie, is something that everyone should read. If you're not a fan of horror, you haven't read too much horror and you want to try it. This is the perfect book to try. It's short, it's perfectly scary, and it's beautifully written. Um, You can also watch the movie from the 80s, Hellraiser, which the book is called The Hellbound Heart. Or they just came out with a new version of Hellraiser, which was pretty good on Hulu. Not as good as the Uh, the first one. But it doesn't, it's not like the, the book obviously was and I mean the movie was made by Clive Barker he was the director and writer for it so he Americanized the movie a little bit more so there are some differences but it's still a pretty well-made movie and very accurate to the novel here but I would say the Hulu was one wasn't so bad (laughs) I didn't care for it except the costume design was awesome and a little bit more accurate to the way the the book Cenobites were described Um, I mean, a lot of it just looked like it could be from a Marilyn Manson concert or something. Yeah, but right. It it was a little more accurate too with um, Pinhead, him slash herself, because that character was, I think, a female in this book. In a female voice, yeah, but they were very androgynous. That's yeah. what they said. But I still th- I was still picturing the one from the first movie right. when I was reading this. I mean, that's just an iconic 
an character. iconic character. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you like our Halloween special here. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and be sure to uh, comment down below what your favorite horror novel is. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs> <laughs>